Well, we've arrived at the last Sunday of the month. And so we're going to bring the series we've been in on prayer to a close today. Now, you may remember about a month ago, I sent out a survey to gather some of your thoughts and questions about prayer as I was planning this series. And I asked you to share how you felt about prayer, what questions came up for you about prayer, and what scriptures come to your mind when you think about prayer. Now, in one month, I am far from having been able to capture everything that you submitted and, and address everything or respond to everything. But one passage that came up multiple times in the survey is one that says to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Many of you are familiar with that and you're asking about it. You were thinking about it. We find this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we're going to be reading from today. Pray without ceasing. Now, this really is the goal of all of our prayer, whether it is praying from scripture or prayer book, as we've talked about, or praying from a prayer request list, you know, intercessory prayer, like we've talked about last week. All prayer is meant to lead us deeper toward a life of unceasing prayer. But what does that mean? All right, how is that possible? I mean, even Augustine, the great writer and theologian of the fourth century, asked, are we to be without ceasing and bending the knee and prostrating the body and lifting up our hands? If this is what without ceasing means, then I don't believe it's possible. Right? But, but then he goes on. He goes on to say, there is another kind of inward prayer without ceasing, which is the desire of the heart. All right, so praying without ceasing goes far beyond saying words to God. Praying without ceasing affects our entire life before God. But still, how does that work? Well, let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever gotten a song stuck in your head? Some sort of tune that just jingled around in your mind all day? Maybe you found yourself unconsciously humming it at some point. The author Mark Twain wrote a short story that describes this experience in, in which the narrator is rendered helpless after encountering some jingling rhymes. All right, he writes, They took instant and entire possession of me. All through breakfast, they went waltzing through my brain. I fought hard for an hour, but it was useless. My head kept humming. I drifted downtown and presently discovered that my feet were keeping time to the relentless jingle. I jingled all through the evening. I went to bed, rolled, tossed, and jingled all night long. <laughs> Have you ever experienced this? A song that just would not leave you alone. A tune that affected the rest of your day and even your night. Well, I think that is what it is like to pray without ceasing. Like getting a song stuck in your head. Unceasing prayer is getting prayer stuck in your head. 
And it affects everything else in your day, everything else in your life. You know, we tend to put our lives into a bunch of different categories. There's work and there's home, there's spiritual life and and leisure life and so on and so forth. And these categories can be helpful when we're organizing our calendars or putting together our to-do lists. But unceasing prayer comes in just like a giant eraser, a, a big wrecking ball, and it just gets rid of all of those different categories. And it tells us that there really is only one category for all of life, prayer. All of life, everything is prayer. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 12. This comes right at the end of Paul's letter, when he often begins to throw out just a bunch of practical things just really quickly at lightning pace. Some of them sound really spiritual, but as we read, some don't sound particularly spiritual at all. But right at the center of this passage, we find the instruction to pray without ceasing. And it becomes this anchor that everything else in the passage is tied to. It's this melody that affects everything. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you again for the gift that it is to come to you in prayer. And we thank you that you invite us into a life of unceasing prayer. Lord, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as I mentioned, in some ways, this passage seems like a bunch of disjointed statements and instructions that Paul just kind of threw together at the last minute. But if you're looking closely, there's 11 verses in this passage that we just read. And at the very center is verse 17, pray without ceasing. With 
five verses before and five verses after. You see, this instruction to pray without ceasing stands at the center of all of these seemingly disjointed instructions. And I believe that praying without ceasing also is to stand at the center of our often disjointed lives. Prayer is something that pulls everything together into that one category. Prayer is something that changes everything. And I want to reflect on three things that I see in this passage that are changed by unceasing prayer. And they all start with the letter A, all right? Praying without ceasing changes our actions, our attitudes, and our accessibility. Praying without ceasing changes our actions, our attitudes, and our accessibility. All right, so I've got a three-point sermon with all the same letters. I am on a roll today, so let's dive in, okay? First, unceasing prayer affects our actions. Look back at the first few verses of our passage. In verse 12, Paul writes, For them to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you. And then in verse 14, he goes on to admonish the idlers. He says to encourage the faint-hearted and to help the weak. Now, many read these instructions as specifically aimed at church gatherings and church communities, respect those who lead the church, admonish those who are idle in the church, encourage those who are tired within the church, and help those who are weak in the church. And that is one way of reading it, and, and we would do well to do all of those things. But the language here really isn't as much the language of church functions. Uh, it, it's, it's more the common language for occupation. It's language for working at a job. Respect those who labor, he says. Respect those who work hard. Admonish the idle ones who are lazy. Encourage the ones who are working so hard that they are faint. And help the ones who are too weak to work. You see, I think that this way of reading it actually gets a little closer to the heart of what Paul is saying here. And it's actually a theme that runs through the whole letter. In chapter 2, verse 9, Paul comments on the work that, that he had been doing with his own hands. Uh, and then in chapter 4, verse 11, he gives them instructions about their own work with their hands. And then here in our passage, he continues to talk about work, but in connection to unceasing prayer. So here's the point in these first few verses of our passage. Your job is not just a paycheck. Your job is a prayer. Your job is not just a paycheck. Your job is a prayer. When you clock in, it's like saying, dear God. And then when you clock out, it's like saying, amen. And all the work in between is the content of your prayer. Your job is not just a paycheck. It's a prayer. Now, how do you actually cultivate that? 
Well, in line with getting songs stuck in your head, I'll, I'll offer you one from the very first Disney movie. Just whistle while you work And cheerfully together we can tidy up the place So I'm a merry day It won't take long when there's a song to help you set the pace <laughs> Whistle while you work Right? What would it look like to pray while you work? As you think through your typical work day, what are the things that you could pray for? Who are the co-workers that you might consider praying with? This is what we talked about last week. That doesn't have to be praying with them out loud, although it could be, but it could just be as you listen to them and get to know them, you begin to, to, to join them in their life prayerfully. This is one way, I think, to pray without ceasing in your work, to pray for the things that are going on, to pray with the people that you work with. But the goal is not just to pray for your work or while you're at work but for you to actually, uh, for your work to actually become a prayer in and of itself. And, and just think about that. If your work were to actually become a prayer, how would this transform the way that you work? If you saw it as a prayer, right? Rather than just getting through the work day and checking off tasks from your list, I think that treating our work as prayer would change the way that we actually do our work. It would change the kind of workers that we are, right? We, we would not just seek to get things done, but rather to do things well. Dorothy Sayers is a, a great writer, and she said that work must be good work before it can call itself God's work. Work must be good work before it can call itself God's work. So another way of praying with our work is to work and to do our work excellently, to do our work with excellence, not just getting it done, but doing it well. This is a way that our work becomes prayer. It becomes worship. And I think this is what Paul meant in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, when he wrote, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of Jesus. Isn't that how we usually end our prayers? We talked about this last week. When all that we do, and word or indeed, is in the name of Jesus, everything that we do becomes a prayer. And so as we begin to pray without ceasing, our actions are transformed, and our daily work becomes a prayer. The second thing I see in this passage is that unceasing prayer affects our attitude. We see this in the very center of the passage. 
verses 16 to 18. All right. On either side of that instruction to pray without ceasing, Paul writes to rejoice always and to give thanks in all circumstances. These have to do with our attitude. Living our lives as an unceasing prayer will make our core attitude one of joy and thanksgiving. And once more, in line with getting songs stuck in our heads, I thought about this and, and I remembered my grandparents' house. My grandpa loved to go fishing. I used to go fishing with him often as a kid. And outside on his patio, he had a fish that was displayed on a plaque. But this was different than any usual fish because every time you walked past it, it started singing. Here's a little song I wrote You might want to sing it note for note Don't worry Be happy Did any of you have one of these? Oh man, we used to laugh so hard at it every time it would go off. But, but truly, don't worry, be happy, is a mantra for the attitude that Paul writes about here. But I do need to clarify something because attitude is different than emotion. To rejoice always, or to give thanks in all circumstances does not mean that we are never sad. It doesn't mean that, that we are to always wear a smile. It just means that when we grieve, we do not grieve as those without hope. To pray without ceasing means that joy always runs deeper than pain. It means that grief is only a temporary interruption of the eternity of joy that has always existed within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and will always persist to the coming of his kingdom. To live in unceasing prayer means that hoping and trusting in God will lead us to a fundamental attitude of joy and thanksgiving in all things. Be happy may not quite reach deep enough, but I do think that don't worry is spot on. Jesus teaches us not to worry, and so does Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, Do not worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is the fruit of unceasing prayer. So when you are feeling the grief of pain or the weight of anxiety, bring that to God in prayer to discover the hope of joy that runs so much deeper than any pain or anxiety ever could as we grow in unceasing 
prayer, our attitudes will begin to shift and we will be able to approach every situation from a place of joy and thanksgiving. And so this brings us to the third thing that I see in the passage that praying without ceasing affects. And it's what I am calling accessibility. Accessibility. All right, look at verses 19 to 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. You see, Paul says not to quench the spirit and not to despise the words of the prophets. And I think that when we pray without ceasing, we open ourselves up to be moved by the spirit and to be corrected by truth. In other words, praying without ceasing means that we become accessible to God. Praying without ceasing means that we become accessible to God. Now, the image here of not quenching the spirit is one of a burning flame. Another way of translating it would be to say, do not extinguish the spirit. So the idea is that the spirit is burning. And as we grow in unceasing prayer, we learn to follow its flicker. And so I have one more catchy song to share that might just get stuck in your head as I think about this. It's a classic. We didn't start the fire. Now, I love this song for two reasons. First, it acknowledges that there is a fire burning. And in the context of this passage, as we're thinking about it, uh, that's the fire of the Holy Spirit. He was always burning since the world's been turning, right? The Spirit has always been moving, always been at work from the churning waters before creation to today and on into the new heavens and new earth that are coming. There is a fire burning. The spirit is active and at work in the world and among us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Are you opened up to the work of the Holy Spirit? There's a prayer that I learned to pray back in college, and it goes like this. Oh, Lord, interrupt me. Lord, interrupt my day. This prayer is an acknowledgement that God is doing stuff and that we are often too distracted by our own selves to see all that God is doing. You see, we live our lives so self-consumed. But as we grow in unceasing prayer, our vision expands. We turn away from ourselves and toward the things of God. As we grow in unceasing prayer, we become accessible 
to the movement of the Holy Spirit. But there's something else, uh, you know, this catchy tune, this song, we didn't start the fire, right? This song is not only an acknowledgement that there is a fire burning, but also an acknowledgement that we aren't the ones who started it. We are not the ones with all the answers. In fact, rather than answers, we often bring our fair share of problems, don't we? But we rarely acknowledge that. I mean, haven't you noticed how, whether it's on social media or in news stories or on television, that our public discourse has become so defensive we are always so defensive. We're always ready to get offended and we're ready to defend ourselves no matter what it is that's being said. And since we're always primed for defense, we always have our defenses up, we're never able to receive correction. This is what Paul means by do not despise the words of the prophets. It means that we need to be teachable and receptive to the word of God. Once again, we need to make ourselves accessible to the truth that brings correction. The truth that convicts. We need to be open to that conviction. Just think of when the prophet Nathan came to confront David about Bathsheba, right? He could have despised the word of the prophet, but instead he lamented. He was cut to the heart by what he had done. And he cried out and said, I have sinned. This is why he is called a man after God's own heart. It's because even in his sin, he remained accessible to God. He was responsive to the words of the prophet rather than defensive about them. Nathan came to David saying that Bathsheba's life mattered. And today, our society is being told that black lives matter. Now we have a choice. When we hear these words, we could either get offended and become defensive or hear them as an invitation to listen closely. Now, I'll be honest, not every voice that we hear is trustworthy. And that's why Paul says to test everything to test everything. But as a society, we must listen and we must learn. And as we do that, we must hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil and repent of it. And that includes racism. As we live lives of unceasing prayer, we will finally stop getting caught up in all of the us versus them arguments that everyone else is having. Rather than despising what we hear with defensiveness, we will learn to discern what we hear, test it, 
and hold on to what is good and let go of what is not. When we pray without ceasing, we stop quenching the Spirit and we become accessible to the movement of God, even when it comes as an interruption. So I want to ask you, which song is going to be stuck in your head this week? Whistle while you work? Don't worry, be happy. We didn't start the fire. As we live in unceasing prayer, everything begins to change and be transformed. Our actions, our attitudes, and our accessibility. And so here is my challenge to you this week. Keep on praying common prayer, just as we have throughout this month. Keep letting this resource teach you how to pray. But rather than just reading through it for a time of prayer, I want to encourage you to let some of those prayers that you read get stuck in your head and become unceasing prayers. You know, if you've been using common prayer over the past few weeks, you might have noticed that every day has a line that gets repeated a few times. Maybe that single line is what you let get stuck in your head throughout the day. Today's, we read at the very beginning, today's line was this, make us fully alive, O God, that our lives might shine like the sun. Make us fully alive, O God, that our lives might shine like the sun. That's the line for today. But whatever the line is for the day, you know, as you do this throughout the rest of the week, take that line and repeat it to yourself throughout the day as you go to work, as you confront anxiety with joy, as you open yourself up to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Let this line become your unceasing prayer. Let it get stuck in your head. And you might just find yourself beginning to live in its rhythm from morning to the midday to the afternoon and on into the evening. This is what it means to pray without ceasing. May we grow in it as we grow in God. Amen.